0: Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. My name is Kristen Harcourt, and I'm your host. I'm an executive coach and a professional speaker, and I created this show to talk about what it looks like to really humanize the workplace, to transform leaders, and create places where people get excited to go to work every day. And today, I have the pleasure of introducing you to one of my really good friends, so I'm so excited to have a conversation with her today. I would like to introduce you to Pam Ross, Pam Ross is a culture change agent, she's a speaker, she's a business consultant, she's a leadership developer at Blue Rebel Works. Welcome to the show, Pam. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here talking to you today. I feel like we talk all the time, but this is even <laughs> more exciting
1: to get for your show.
0: Uh, well, you're always um, sharing so many truth bombs and so much wonderful insight every time we have a conversation. So I'm so glad to have you on the podcast sharing all of this insight too with all of our listeners. And you know, I thought as a, a great starting point for this discussion, Pam, your tagline, which you know, you had me at the tagline is um, you're on a mission to make work awesome. And it's a powerful mission. I think it's an incredibly important mission. Um, But as a starting point, when you say making work awesome, what does that look like for you? Yeah. So, I mean,
1: the first thing is workplaces that are more human. And so to us, that means where I can be myself, where I have a higher level of freedom, um, where I take personal accountability, um, a lot less command and control style of, um, leadership, uh, really being able to get into the flow of work and do what you're best at. So, um, so that you feel great at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I I really think that everyone should have an opportunity to be in workplaces like that. And if you think about some of your journey, Pam, what got you here? So I'm assuming there were some times that perhaps it wasn't feeling like work was awesome. Um, so, So talk to me about some of the things that showed up on your journey that got you so passionate about this work.
1: Yeah, so I'm gonna start at my very first kind of real job because it actually was awesome. So my first real job, I was working in restaurants and I got the opportunity when I finished university to go on the training team and travel around Canada and open restaurants. And very quickly I was promoted to like leading these restaurant opening teams. And so I was 22 years old. I had full accountability, full autonomy to figure out how we could train these people, get them up and running to open this restaurant on time, on budget, delivering great guest experiences. And like the teams that I worked with, we became so close, like great friends. We collaborated, we tried different things, each restaurant to kind of make things better. Uh, We got better at how we worked, like we just, gelled and we did great work. And I mean, at the time, that restaurant company that I worked with with was the fastest growing restaurant company in Canada. It was winning awards for like one of the great places to work, all of those kinds of things. So it was a great place. And we had this like, just great atmosphere, very entrepreneurial. And so I thought at that time, cause that was my first real job. I was like, thank goodness the school thing is over. Thank goodness I'm in the work world. Like work is so awesome. I was super excited that like work was so great. And fast forward a few years, I, um, you know, that same company, lots of iterations of jobs. We didn't have HR. Um, I became kind of part of the first HR sort of little team there. Um, and then a few years later, decided to leave so that I could get other work experience. And I realized really quickly, like you said, that there's a lot of not awesome workplaces out there. So um, I remember, the, so in one of my other roles, I was in a company where people were kind of biding their time at work. They knew they had to be there between nine and five. It was one of these places where it was almost like a bell went off at noon and everyone got up from their desks and went to the lunchroom and ate for one hour. And then at one o'clock, everyone went back to their desks. And at five o'clock, everyone left. And I had never worked in that kind of environment. Like I had worked in restaurants and retail where you work when it's busy and you go home when it's not. And it like I had never worked in this kind of environment. And I remember having a conversation with one of my colleagues one day. It was around like three o'clock. And I was relatively new. I was trying to figure out what everyone did and what like what challenges were happening because I was in charge of starting like a, le- a learning and leadership development program. So I really wanted to understand what was going on. So I went in to his office and I'm like, hey, what are you working on? And he literally said, oh, I'm just waiting until five o'clock until I can go home. And honestly, Chris and I was like, oh my god, that's really what's happening here. And like at that same workplace, I would be told it would be like 503. And my boss would be like, why are you still here? We at we finished work at five. And I'd be like, I'm in the middle of something like I'm right in the flow of work. Why would I leave? Right? It was just like work measured by time. Um, And then another workplace Uh, it was almost the opposite of that. You were really rewarded for putting in time. So it was almost like you would walk around and people were wearing badges of honor, like, I missed my child's recital because I'm so busy. I can't take a vacation for seven years because I am so busy. Like all of this really unhealthy competition about who's working the most and um, like stress was, it was just really, really... um, sad. I felt like I was losing my soul every day that I went to work at some of these workplaces. You know, you would go in and see the values written on the wall and then you'd run into behavior that was so counter to that and um, and counter to my own values. So yeah, a feeling like, I, I mean, I remember being told how I should dress right down to the fact that I should wear high heels at work because it was more professional. Like just all of these little things that we do to create these really non-human, really stifling workplaces. So I realized that yeah, work isn't awesome most places and I really wanted to make it better.
0: Absolutely. And I I so connect with your story, um, except for mine was a little bit different in that it was the first three bosses that were the kind of terrible bosses. And this is what work looks like. So I was thinking, maybe I made the wrong decision to leave school. Maybe I need to go back there and figure Uh out something else but then had beautiful experiences of the exact counter when I had some amazing workplaces after that. So it was so wonderful to see that contrast when I had amazing leaders, a positive culture um, where people just wanted to go do their best work. They were connected to the purpose. They were living and breathing the values, and it wasn't a values exercise. It was those mm-hmm. are the behaviors that not only were expected, but that people appreciated, right? That's how we wanted to show up and, and get excited every day. And so where that brings me to too, Pam, when I, I hear um, you know, you were in those situations and then you got to leave, and now you get to go out there and, and work powerfully with organizations to help them have places that were more like your first workplace out of school what do you notice in those two workplaces? And and I see that there's quite contrast, um, Mm -hmm. but there are probably some common themes around why those workplaces um, were not creating those positive cultures. And and what are some of those um, specific patterns or specific areas uh, of improvement or gaps that you see when they're struggling in that way? Mm -hmm. Um, I think a big part of it is like lack of trust across the
1: organization, lack of psychological safety within and across teams, just really um, like cultures of blame and um, gossip and uh, a bunch of things that are dysfunctional um, competition, like over a, a really big focus on bottom line and and that sort of thing. Lots of top-down communication. Um, Those were some of the, I would say the themes. Um, Yeah, I think, I really think the more I work with organizations, the more I see the variances in psychological safety, the more I think that is so key. Um, and that like that goes across all like that's like from showing up being able to show up and be myself to feeling like I belong not like I have to fit in as Brene Brown would say it's the difference right yeah. to like being able to say what I think or challenge ideas to try new ideas, like all of these things, not only for the human, are they good, but they're good for the company when people are able to try new things and test and, and learn and share what they learned. And like, it's, it, those things are good for everybody. Um, so I th- feel like that's such a good place to start.
0: Yeah. And I love when you start talking about belonging as well and the word love, right? Like what does it look like to be able to be more heart centered and really connect mm-hmm. with those humans around us? Because we are, are all actually really craving that, um, being able to be ourselves and then be able to have that sense of belonging. And what do you think are some of the the really quick wins you can start to see in an organization to help them to, uh, and uh, you and I are both um, big believers is that it takes takes time for change. And we don't want this, uh, this kind of instant gratification where, oh, we just wave this magic wand and it's all done. I, I, I get that it definitely I takes work, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, as a starting point, when you start, and I know you're doing a lot of work with organizations on, on the culture piece and leadership development, um, where's the first place you love to start?
1: Uh, so the first place I love to start is with helping people identify their personal values and realize how they're showing up and when they're not showing up and that sort of thing. The first place I usually find most effective to start is with, um, we use a behavioral assessment. You're really familiar with assessments, I know. Um, So we use a behavioral assessment and I find that's the best place for us to start because people get such insight from it, like such self-awareness and such a greater understanding of why people are so different and that it's not good or bad, it's just different. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, have, I usually, although I love the values work, I do love the behavioral science and the behavioral tool um, and those conversations uh, as well. And I find that the most effective place to start because we get like leaders are really interested and want to use this immediately as soon as they get introduced to it. So I find that's really helpful because it starts to build a safety of like, well, I'm a whatever, I, I'm this behavioral style, that's why I think this, or I would like this from you differently because I you know, work in this way. It creates a, a almost instant um, sort of openness and safety for people to say why they're different.
0: Yeah, I think it's highly, highly effective for um, multiple reasons like you've just discussed there. It's, it can start to, um, first of all, take away some of the defenses. So we do like to learn about ourselves, right? We do, it, it is fun to be like, oh, I'm like this and I do this well and these are some of my talents and gifts. Oh, these are some of the ways I might hold myself back. This is where there might be gaps. So I think that it helps the individual get to know themselves on a deeper level, but then it starts to help them recognize Oh, and I've talked a lot about this a lot on the podcast. So anyone who's listening, you'll hear me say this again about our operating systems and that there's not a right operating system or a wrong operating system. It's just that we're all in the world operating with different systems. And so the more we can understand how we're showing up and how we can further leverage that, but then also recognize others are going from their system. And the more we can get to know theirs and how could we work more effectively. And I know for myself, um, I'm highly extroverted. My husband's highly introverted. Uh, He's an engineer. I'm more the creative one, but he brings so many gifts that come along with that. And sometimes I'm even like, oh, why why am I going to like work hard on doing this decision? Why don't I just bring it to him and say like, oh, I'm thinking about this. Well, he'll love it because he's like, okay, let me weigh it in. I'm going to write all the pros and cons. I'm going to do all this. And then I'll say, oh, okay, that's cool. And then he's, so he feels like he's part of the decision because he got to do his part. And then for me, I know I'm just going to probably go with my intuition and, and do the decision, but it's this way where you can really work well together and figure out how you can actually play off of each other's gifts.
1: Yes. And how people can use their best strengths that way when you're really aware of what they are. Right. Yeah. I
0: love it for that. That's I love it. Yeah. Um, so I, I, think another thing I would love to talk to you about, Pam is, you know, recognizing what's happening in the world right now. Um, right now we're at the end of June. So for anyone who's listening to the podcast, this is what's happening in the world right now, uh, June, 2020, uh, we, we have a global pandemic and, uh, with a global pandemic, um, lots of things are happening, lots of uncertainty, a lot of, uh, leading through crisis, And one of the things I've noticed is um, through talking with a lot of organizations, talking with my clients, uh, one of the patterns has been organizations that were really doing this well before COVID are actually, it feels like they're amplifying it and organizations who are not doing this well before, it feels like they're amplifying it. And so I'd love to hear from you. What are you noticing around some of the, the strengths and where organizations are really getting it well right now? And then- Go to the other side where you're noticing some some real gaps that are showing up during this global pandemic. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's the clear thing that organizations that were already working virtually
1: really just continued to work virtually. Like there is no change, right? Um, but I think like for organizations that maybe didn't do that as lo- like if they were had really developed learning agility in their in their organization and try trying and testing and learning in that sort of environment, they're still doing great. You know, like I work with one organization and I said, you know, how are you coping with um, working from home? And there's definitely some um, sort of, the emotional side that makes it a little difficult, but from a productivity side, they said, you know, we ju- we tried some new tools. We're now using, uh, you know, Microsoft Teams in a different way. We're doing this, and we've just tried a bunch of things, and we found we're just as productive, if not more, now, because they're so used to iterating and just trying things, right? So. Um, I think that if you had that sort of culture where you can try and, and you're not afraid to test new tools and, and new ways of working, you're better off. Um, the other thing that's been really fascinating is even, like a couple of like little things, like for years, I would tell teams that were working um, maybe across time zones or different locations, I would say, instead of just using conference call, just get people on a video. It's so much better. Like you'll be able to see them. It's just, and I was always met with resistance. No one would ever do it. It didn't matter how many times I suggested this, always just phone. And now that they are using everyone everyone just switched to video overnight i'm like how did how did that happen i don't know but they realized yeah you're right it it is way better like we can see each other we can collaborate this way um, i think they're realizing that and they're realizing how important connections are this is another thing that you know when we work with leaders we talk about you know, take time to just know your people on a personal level. Um, And we, again, often get resistance to that, like, you know, why we don't have time to do that. We need to get to the work. And, you know, I'm not that interesting. I don't, you know, I don't care what's happening with their kids or whatever they, they say. I'm like, no, it is worth it. And now they're realizing how important those connections are and how much their people crave them. And, I've heard from so many leaders that they want to continue to have some sort of, you know, some of them are doing virtual happy hours. Some of it, it went crazy at the beginning. And so they're a little bit more, more relaxed about it now. But, you know, doing something regularly just to have like kind of social, um, be yourself time has become more important and they're realizing the power of that. So it's been so interesting to see these little shifts. What are you noticing?
0: Yeah. it's. I, I remember a client was doing exactly like you're saying, um, not so like a happy hour, but kind of a, a team one where it was not about work. And he felt that was really uncomfortable at first because he thought, mm-hmm oh my gosh, I'm getting them together once a week for an hour. And there's nothing to do with work here. It's just about getting to know each other. And they would do these different exercises every week. So one week it was around, um, they show up with a different meme. One day, uh, one it was, they were doing like an MTV Cribs thing and they would go around and show parts of their house and just being yeah. really creative. And he, he said, what he observed from it is, I feel like I know all of my team like so much deeper in this last two or three months, then I've known them for how many years. Right. So mm-hmm. it just feels like it's, um, really, uh, deepened the connection. Um, I think that agree as well with the, with the video, like a lot more doing video and then also being cognizant of if someone's doing a lot of video, then maybe actually sometimes using the phone is going to be good because with the, the zoom fatigue. And so I think some of that has been really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious around where I've noticed that some companies that had um, really high performance expectations before and where they're not necessarily um, giving a little bit of space is uh, some of my clients, they're having back to back meetings, literally like nothing's changed when they were in the office. Meanwhile, Yes, it's a remote work environment, and maybe some of them had remote work work before or didn't, uh, but the situation's different, right? They Mm -hmm. might have another significant other who is also at home working in another office. They might have children at home that they're trying to homeschool in between meetings elder parents who they're trying to run out and get groceries for. So the circumstances are a little bit different and it feels like for some companies that's not being recognized. The expectation is that they should still be on 24 seven to the point with some of my clients where they noticed that it was kind of bordering on burnout and we had to take a step back and they had to do some pushback. They were having to do as much they could in their workday, put the kids to bed then work from nine o'clock to two o'clock in the morning and then working on weekends. It's not sustainable, and and I don't really feel like it's the organization should not be putting that kind of pressure on on its employees. Mm-hmm. I could
1: not agree more. I am fortunate enough to not have that sort of <laughs> environment, and I work. I'm used to working from home. I, uh, you know, I don't have that. And every time I talk to a client who has ki- who's trying to homeschool their children while working full time. And dealing with the stress of everything that's going on, because quite honestly, there have been days that even without all those extra things in my life, I just am not productive because I'm worried and I'm thinking about things, and I have to just take some space for myself to just like stop and be. Um, so yeah, I think a few things. One is you don't just take what you did in the office and just make it a new meeting online, like you actually, and this is, we're going to be online meeting on online working for quite a period of time, right? Like I know some of my clients are starting to open their offices here in the Toronto area. Um, and you know, they are offering like 50% of you can come back into the office. Well, guess what? A lot of people aren't choosing not to because either they have kids at home or they, whatever. Now in September, chances are your kids are not going back to school full time. So I don't think that you're going to be able to go back to work full time. So we are going to be working remotely for the long haul, probably. So I think we need to completely change the way we're thinking about how we meet, how we collaborate, you know, like my team does a lot of sort of asynchronous collaboration, we have Google Docs that we each go into and work on when we're working. So we don't have to be like, collaborating at the same time on the same document or whatever. Um, I think you have to challenge whether every meeting has to be a meeting because some a lot of meetings can be an email. Um, I have been in a lot of meetings that I'm like, I can't believe we just talked for, you know, 50 minutes about this. Um, Meetings don't have to be an hour, you know, the default is often an hour. You can just grab someone for five minutes if you have a something to discuss with them. There's a lot of things that we do just because we've always done it that way that we just tried to just stick online now. And it's, we actually have to challenge all of those things. Um, And we have to recognize that people just are not going to be as productive sometimes as they, were and figure out like, how can you help them? Who can help at what time? I don't know, you've probably heard Brene Brown talk about the percentages. Like she has this thing with her husband where they say she'll come home from work and if she had a really rough day, she's like, like I'm at 20% today. And if, hopefully he's at 80. Um, but if not, then where do they find the other percent to make up 100% so they can be a good uh, functioning family? it's kind of like that on teams i almost feel like it would be cool to create some sort of of online board that you can say like i'm at 80% today i'm at 100% i'm at 50% who can help when um because like we all just have to help each other because this is hard times and we're all going to go through this roller coaster we're all going to have days that we can't like you know our kids are struggling with their schoolwork or really needing attention or like there's a lot that we have to deal with and we just have to understand that.
0: Yeah. I really think that, that compassion and empathy have to be front and center, like really, really leaning on that emotional intelligence and not waiting for them to tell you to checking in and saying, how yes. are you doing? Because a lot of these high performers, right? This is their, they so their default, right? They will push mm-hmm. through. They will just say, I can do it. But guess what? At some point, if it doesn't happen uh, on its own, their body breaks down and says, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And you know, there's been a lot of research and right. on the mental health uh, toll that all of this is, is, is um, taking on people. So yeah. I think the more that um, individuals are, are checking in constantly with their team to see how they're going, what's what, you know, how can I better support you? What might be going on for you? Uh, please don't be feeling like you always have to be here for every meeting uh, as an organization. Organization, what can we look at to see that we 're not having you know eight hours of meetings a day and it also brings me uh, to another um, point that Pam, I know you and I have talked about before, and it 's around um, what can start to happen as we get into these compliance things and oh you 're working from home and remote work and these are all our remote work policies and and I have heard stories where the, the employees are being monitored for how long they 're online. And I don't know why I should be surprised, of course, because some companies were already not wanting people to work from home due to trust factors. So of course, why wouldn't they be monitoring them 24-7 because both about the trust factor. And um, so I'd love to talk to you a little bit because I know we both feel passionate about this, that really understanding um, what it looks like when it, when we talk about productivity and that productivity is not necessarily about a bum on a seat and that it's about the outcomes and why we need to be um, really thinking about having these, these compliance and rules and leaning on that in order to be able to be monitoring employees, which is not humanizing the workplace at all. Yeah. Yes. Oh my God it is breaking my heart
1: to hear about people being monitored and like i heard that someone has their employees one person was telling me that they they have to come on a video call in the morning and be on video from like 9 to 5 like except for my washroom breaks which kind of are timed like everyone knows you've gone to the bathroom like i'm like i can't even how old are you like why are we babysitting our kids like this like this is <laughs> our kids listen I'm and it doesn't work for kids either guess what I know don't I, well either <laughs> oh my gosh okay so uh yes outcomes not ours we like and this is you know that I was trained in results only work environment um so in basically what that concept is is that work is is about the results. It's not about your time at work. And we as managers, that's the easiest thing that we can manage, right? We know when people come in, when they leave, we often recognize people for spending extra time at work. Like, thank you for working extra on the weekend. Like everything is about time at work. And it's so ridiculous because when you are recognizing people for time, they think that's all that matters. And they're going to make their time like spread out. And it's just, it's completely dysfunctional. Um, so that aside, <laughs> this whole like working remotely, it's, it does all go back to trust, right? And it goes back to also like what's the stopping managing how people are working and what they're doing and being a micromanager, like no one wants to be a micromanager and no one wants to be micromanaged. Let them know what the outcome of their work needs to be, like what how it connects to the bigger project or whatever you're you're working on what's the outcome that's needed in order to move that forward and let them figure out how to get to it and if it takes someone three hours to that maybe used to take someone else eight hours then who cares like they're getting the value of the work is the same like I am gonna be like amazing thank you so much for getting this beautiful project done instead of you only worked three hours on that. What's going on? What, you know, is there something wrong at home and managing you because, and like mothering you, parenting you because of the time, like that babysitting thing. It's just, oh my gosh, I get really upset at managing about time versus the output of the work and the, the, the eff, not, not the effort, but the, um, the way people think. Like, so rather than coaching people on the time spent, coach them on like, tell me how you thought about that. Like, how, tell me the way you got to this result. Tell me more about your process. Tell me more about the factors you considered when you created this, right? Um, what happens now is you need to spend more time on this, right, rather than finding out what's really going on that maybe caused an outcome that you weren't expecting need to manage the, the work, not the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm thinking about anybody who's in a position where they might be in HR and they're being asked to do something like this and Mm -hmm. saying, Oh, you need to have some rules and compliance. What, what, what do you suggest is um, a a great way of HR helping to educate (laughs) and, and and just help the organization understand that that's not going to be a win for anybody. Yeah, I
1: think it is about finding out what results the, uh, you know, the C-suite wants. What what results are the executives looking for? Surely the result they're looking for is not that I see people sitting in seats three days a week or something, right? Because that's what I'm hearing right now is everyone's talking about what's our new policy on flexibility going to be? Should we tell people they have to come to work two days a week and they can work from home three? Should they... Should it be three and work from home two? what should we do? I'm like, are you kidding? Tell them they can get their work done wherever they need to. Like, I just I don't even understand it. Um, I have been out of it for a while. So I'm sure back when I worked in HR, I would have been able to empathize more. But um, so what are the results that the executives are looking for, right? Get them to share that with you, and then you can ladder that down to what are the behaviors that can create those results. Now, I can almost guarantee that the behavior has nothing to do with being in the office in your desk for eight hours, three times a week, right? So you start to ladder down to the behaviors, and then, you know, okay, so here's what we're going to set as our expectations and the kind of behavior we're gonna model. How does that sound, leaders? Because that will ladder up to those behaviors and those results you want. Um, because I think we just naturally go to time and seeing people in their seats because that's the way we always just did it. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you brought us to a great place, um, which is really getting at behaviors and, and looking at, for, from my perspective, you know, I'm very passionate about leadership and um, we're all leaders, let's be honest, whether we have a title or not, right? We have a choice around how we show up and who we're being day to day in the workplace. And when you start to think about, you know, the, the name of the podcast is inspirational leadership, because from my perspective, inspirational leadership, and, and, and I guess in a way, inspiration is also aspirational, that it's not about... About, oh charisma and I'm the one up here but inspirational leadership to me is around those day-to-day behaviors that show up that to me are really 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 critical in leadership and so when you think about inspirational leadership what are some of those behaviors that you think are really critical that come up for you um, I think so I'm, I'm
1: thinking of like groups of behaviors. So authenticity, which I think includes like speaking, saying what I, what I really think about things with an openness to hear what other people also really think because I'm allowing them to be authentic too. It means being vulnerable and sharing when I made mistakes or what I did wrong and uh, that sort of thing that inspires me to feel like I can do that as well, right? Um, I think inspiring leadership is, uh, compassion, like, you know, focusing on more than just profit, um, purpose, people's passion, just being people centric rather than just profit focused and, um, profit will come. Profit can be an outcome of the people focus that you're, that you're having, um, inspiration, inspiring leadership. Um, I really think of people also willing to try things and fail and learn and share what they learned and not hide it and blame others for what they learned. You know, I really, really appreciate that level of transparency. Um, you know, that that kind of um, authenticity. It all goes back to authenticity again. Um, openness to ideas. You know, I love. Um, I just finished taking a practical self-management course. And um, that's all, it's all about making sure that you know there's not a boss at the or a leader at the head of the company who's not hearing what the real challenges and tensions are from the frontline people who are dealing with your actual clients and customers. Right? It's like really having um, a place where creating an atmosphere where people can share and people can speak up and and not be judged. You know, it's no ego. It's um, yeah it's all and everyone has an ego it is, but it's recognizing when your ego comes
0: into play, right
1: yes. and and being open about that too.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, right? We're all, there's going to be times where if we talk about conscious leadership, anyone who hasn't, um, Pam and I both really like um, the 15 commitments mm-hmm. of conscious leadership. And yeah. so are you above the line or below the line? And I'm not going to even tell you anymore. I'm just going to encourage you to go get the book yes. so you can learn more about yeah, that. Get the book. <laughs> <laughs> um, but really being cognizant every day, right? Because we are human. We are going to fault. We are going to have errors at, uh, at times. But the more we can um, be reflective and recognize afterwards, Oh, what was going on there? Okay. This is what's happening. Okay. What am I going to do differently next time? Mm-hmm. Um, to, to finish off and I, I, and I'm being cognizant, Pam, cause I knew that we could go on for like two hours <laughs> and next thing I know. Um, and, uh, if you think about, making the business case for really humanizing the workplace in this way, because I know sometimes it's around maybe HR is going in there and talking to the leaders, um, or maybe it's just, you know, a CEO is listening to this right now and saying, oh yeah, 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 no people first, whatever it's profit first. Um, you know, we're here to make, we're here to make money. We're here to be, and and you and I both know (laughs) that it's the people who create the profit, but uh, what would you, what would you say if you were trying to help an HR leader or even that CEO help? them to see the business case around why leadership development and creating positive cultures is so important.
1: I mean, there's, there has actually been research done that has shown that those companies that focus on purpose and passion actually out profit the S and P 500. Right. Yeah. So there is, there's actual numbers and studies that you can share. Um, and like, quite honestly, I often wonder this because I have worked with leaders. Um, you know, I used to report to the president when, when I was in a corporate setting, and I know they feel the same way right like they also want a more human workplace they also struggle with the way the structures and the systems and the bureaucracy and all the all of the things I have been in rooms where presidents are complaining to me about the very same things that they are perpetuating and so I struggle with how they like why why they don't see it so why you know I think it's figuring out what is it that's driving them? Um, and I, I always go back to that kind of it's a results pyramid. And i think there's a book called Change the Culture, Change the Game, that they use this this pyramid. And and uh, we have shared that with some of our clients. But it is looking at like what's the result that they want that they're not getting? What are the behaviors that ladder up to that result? What then are the beliefs you need to create in your people that will cause those behaviors and Uh, then what are you doing to create the experiences that cause them to have those beliefs, behaviors, and results? And like, I think that when we realize that people are humans and that, you know, a lot of the behaviors that are getting in the way are because we're managing them in non-human ways We're we're adding structure, we're adding bureaucracy. Those are the things that are stopping the behaviors from, um, from rising. The other thing is I would talk to them about accountability. So you talked about the line and when you're above the line, you are taking 100% responsibility, right? I mean, wouldn't you want a workplace where everyone takes 100% responsibility? And that means working with them on emotional intelligence and mindset and all of those shifts because you can't get to 100% responsibility when you're stuck in ego and blame and gossip and all of the the below-the-line behaviors, right? So, you know, I find that when I talk to them about the line and that that difference, that is helpful. When I talk to them about the results and the behaviors, that's helpful. Um, I find when they do their profile the behavioral profile and they realize oh how my behavior might be perceived by others developing that self-awareness those are those little steps are helpful along the way to them realizing that they can some little things can make a big difference
0: yeah, I think that's great. It's, um, the shifts can happen in different ways, right? They could all of a sudden read the book and say, oh my gosh, they recognize themselves in it or see a statistic and then all of a sudden you just never know when that, fl- that switch is gonna be flipped and the more you can and give them that information to help uh, invite them in. And I agree too around the self-awareness, right? It's, it was interesting. Um, I found that uh, so many of the CEOs that I've spoken to on this podcast and outside of this podcast, who have been very progressive they've all gone on their own self-awareness journey right they've all worked with executive coaches they've done a lot of their own personal development work so that they're also going inside and understanding themselves better and how they're showing up and impacting the people around them once they've gone on that transformational journey they get it in a different way right they get in a deeper way because they think oh if I've, if I've done this and look how I'm seeing the world so differently, imagine what it'd look like if I create that kind of environment and opportunity for the people at my workplace as well. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And, and this may be a downer to end our our discussion, but there's some leaders that aren't just, just are not going to be open to it. Right. That's the way they've done things. They just, you know, this is the way they are and they're not open to that self-awareness. And, you know, quite honestly, I want to work with the the people who want to make a difference who want like I think about so many of us get into our like mid-40s and we've been working so hard for the last 20-25 years and we go oh my gosh only like you know maybe in 10-15-20 years I'll be able to retire and enjoy life and we start to realize whoa, wait, I don't want to be that old when I start enjoying life. I need to enjoy life now. So how can I make work better, more free, more personally accountable, more human, so that I can enjoy every day and not wait until I have to retire to enjoy life? It's, you know, I, I, I want to work with those people who realize that they want to make a difference in that way.
0: Ah. Uh. It's so true, right? It's, it's, it breaks my heart actually. When I hear people say, well, I'll just get through It's Just 15 more years till retirement. like, what? 15 more years. Like these are 15 years where you can think about like, who do you want to be? What's the impact you want to make? How do you want to have meaning in your work? Uh, How's this connected to your purpose? What do you want your legacy to be? How are you living your legacy every day? Right? Every day. It's so, so anyone who's listening right now, don't feel like it has to be like, any day is a new day and a fresh day to start doing this, right? You don't have to, it doesn't have to be this big thing or you don't have to feel like, oh, well, it's, you know, two years left or five years left. What's the point? No, today, today's that opportunity. Today's yeah. the invitation to, to take that step back and reflect and really recognize what's important to you and how you want to show up. And I would argue that every single person has the opportunity to find more purpose in their work. Yes. No matter what
1: your job is, who your boss is, what your company does, You can find an opportunity if you get clear about what your your values and what your purpose is and what legacy you want to leave, you can change the way you're being no matter what you're doing. And you can show up differently to everyone that you work with and make an impact, the kind of impact that is related to your purpose and feel better every day. Like it does not matter. You do not have to be the CEO
0: to make a change to have a more purposeful life at work. So anyone can do this. Absolutely. It's just taking that time to get clear about it so that every day you can ask yourself, are you living that why? Are you getting closer to that why? And and, um, when even when there tends to be any um, barriers or something's holding you back, when you're really connected to that why, it doesn't impact you the same way. Because you're like, no, I have a a mission. Um, And I know for you, Pam, it shows up every day when you're thinking about my mission is to go out there and make work awesome. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Help anyone, no matter what your job is, improve your life by making work. Awesome. That is ultimately what we want to do. So yes.
0: Yes. Um, I am going to give you an opportunity. Like I always give my guests as we end off on the podcast with any final thoughts. I
1: just hope. So we are here at the end of June after three months of a pandemic, which is continuing and we are, it's a very uncertain world that we're living in. I would hope that we are reflecting on what we're learning and what we can take away to make our lives and our work better from this and not just on how awful it is because it is awful at times, right? And, and there's terrible things happening. Um, But I hope that we can learn and make things better in the future. I feel like there's a shift in energy going on. There's, you know, between Black Lives Matter movements, COVID 19, like so much is happening in the world right now. I just really think that we have this opportunity to really dig in and really, really make a difference in our own lives and the people around us. So take the opportunity, reflect, learn and make
0: changes. Yes, this is such an opportunity for a reset. And I, I don't think it's going to be the new normal. I don't even know what we're going to call it. But I don't want it to go back to the new normal. I want it to be a new version. And we have an opportunity to evolve in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pam, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. It's always good to talk to you. And uh I'm excited to be a part of your of your of your show. It's great. Thank you so much, Pam. And for everybody who's listening, please um feel free to share this episode with others and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, or you can also subscribe at my on my blog at kristenharcourt.com. Have a wonderful day, everyone.